Faculty often find that grading student work is a stressful and time-consuming activity. Students sometimes see grades as a subject of negotiation rather than as an assessment of their learning. In this episode, we explore how the use of specification grading can save faculty time while motivating students to achieve the course learning outcomes. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching, an informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning. This podcast series is hosted by John Keane, an economist, and Rebecca Mushter, a graphic designer. Together, we run the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at the State University of New York at Oswego. Today, our guest is Dr. Linda Nielsen. She is the founding director of the Office of Teaching Effectiveness and Innovation at Clemson University. She is the author of many superb books, book chapters, and articles on teaching and learning. Welcome, Linda. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I think it's more of a welcome back. Right? Yes, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Yes, yes, yes. Good to be here again. Are you drinking any tea today? As a matter of fact, I am. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, I had coffee this morning as well, but I am drinking tea. I am drinking a berry tea, but it also is black tea in it. So it's still a bit of a stimulant anyway, but it tastes really good. <laughs> Sounds good. Mm-hmm. I have ginger peach green tea. And I have English breakfast. In an earlier podcast, we talked with you about your work with self-regulated learning. And one of the topics that came up with that was specifications grading. Yes. So we'd like you to tell us a little bit about your book, Specifications Grading, Restoring Rigor, Motivating Students, and Saving Faculty Time, especially that last part. <laughs> yes, saving faculty time. Yeah. <laughs> I figured that would help sell the book, but it's true. It does save faculty time. And one of the things that inspired this book was just my hearing so many complaints from so many faculty over the years about grading and the aftermath of grading and returning graded material to students and the constant steady stream of students trying to get another half a point, just arguing, just conflict, constant conflict, students being stressed, faculty being stressed, faculty getting larger and larger classes with less and less help, fewer and fewer TAs, if there were ever any TAs. And I got tired of it. But there was a part of this that I did not invent. I heard it from a faculty member in the School of Management. And she was doing that pass-fail grading. It was saving her tons of time. She had huge classes, online classes. And she just invented this. And she was also sick and tired getting complaints from students and students not paying attention to her feedback, which of course took her hours and hours and hours to write and return. So I took some ideas from her, but I also wanted to tie grades somehow to outcomes. And this is where another aspect of specs grading comes in. And that is with respect to bundling assignments or turning them into modules or whatever. But I prefer the term bundles because it's much more universal. So anyway, this was a solution to a problem. And that's what a lot of my work has had to do with making the faculty member's job easier and more rewarding. I think that you've been spying on me for the last many years. 
Yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> I'll admit it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so I think John and I are both really interested in the idea of saving time, as are many faculty. But you also talk about, in your book, the history of grading, how it's evolved, the 4.0 system. How is this different and how does this relate to the history of grading? Well, let's look at the history of grading first. Grades started, well, everywhere in 1783. It was Yale's idea. And what they started doing in that year was an achievement-based student classification system. They were not using A's and B's. What they were using were Latin designations of like optime for outstanding and pejore for failing, like as in pejorative, right? (laughs) Anyway, then in 1800, Yale dropped the Latin designations and started using numbers, zero to four. Sound familiar? But that was Yale doing that now. In 1850, the University of Michigan initiated grades, but for them, it was strictly pass-fail. And it only took 50% to pass. So we talk about grade inflation now, look backwards. (laughs) Mount Holyoke, though, just a few years later, set passing at 75%. Harvard, also a little bit later, invented the A to F system. But passing was only 26%. So if you were wealthy enough, you had to know less, right? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's where ultimately grades came from. Before 1783, this was in Europe, and this started hundreds of years before our notion of grades, there was something, it was like a Jeopardy game. (laughs) where graduates, or graduates-to-be, hopeful graduates, were answering questions in a tournament style, but the stakes were really high. And so, yes, if you were winning throughout, you were really showered with honors. But if you were at the bottom, you lived years in shame. It was terrible. We talk about high stakes. Oh, my. (laughs) So anyway, grades were invented after universities. Socrates didn't talk about grades, right? It's a relatively new invention for sorting suits. How does the specification grading relate to this letter system or this 4.0 system? Well, it kind of takes a break away because, first of all, all this grades that I was talking about was with respect to courses. There have been pass-fail courses. Sometimes they worked well. Sometimes they didn't work so well. They worked pretty well in medical school because we're dealing with highly motivated students who really understand the need to know. But other than that, most students would do the absolute minimum to get their C minus, whatever. It didn't work very well in terms of like motivating students to learn. They learned the absolute minimum. With specs grading, the pass-fail is within the course, the assignments and tests in the course. But you don't pass with a C or a C minus. You set the passing level at what you would regard as a B level. And this is what restores the rigor. I think we have been sold a poor bill of goods when we don't set our students to high standards. We say, well, maybe they can't do it. And then they can do it. Come on. They're just not doing it because of our partial credit system and our point system, because they can always get another half a point, right? Just by wearing you down. (laughs) Really, they do. And they know it works. It worked in high school. So it works now. Not only that, it worked previous semester. These students aren't stupid. And they can do what we ask them to do for B work, certainly at the undergraduate level, actually at the graduate level as well. They can do it, but they choose not to because they can survive otherwise. 
they could do well enough to pass or get their B or even get their A. So why should they sweat it? They can always get the partial credit. And students get partial credit. It's almost like going back to the University of Michigan, 50% passing for assignments and tests. I mean, we pretty much lowered the bar because we want so many people to get over it. Well, people are getting over it without preparing, without doing a decent job. And they'll spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes, night before on an assignment, knowing that no matter what they do, they will get partial credit and they will pass. So again, they're not stupid. It's just that for them, college is a game that doesn't have much to do with learning. That's not where the focus is. And at least with specs grading, there is a lot more focus on learning because you are tying the assignments and tests to student learning outcomes. And that's a really nice part of the system in that those grades, the ABC, mean something in terms of outcomes achievement. And these, in turn, might be tied to program outcomes as well. So all of a sudden, you've gotten rid of an entire step at the departmental level of having to measure program outcomes. And why do you have to do this? Because accrediting agencies know that our grades don't mean much of anything as far as learning is concerned, as far as what they're interested in, which is outcomes achievement. And outcomes achievement, it's an up or out sort of thing. You can either do something or you can't. And as long as there are standards set for that, and certainly the crediting agencies want standards set for that. So let's say, okay, so your goal is a student can write a good quality, maybe not great quality, but a good quality business proposal. Okay, fine. So if that is your outcome, what really does that entail? What exactly are you looking for in terms of a very good business plan? And that should be incorporated in your directions to students. But we don't articulate that, do we? We really don't. We speak very vaguely, well, a business plan should have this, and here's your rubric. Well, first of all, students often don't understand the language, but it is simply not detailed enough such that all students can understand the directions and actually follow them. We need to put more detail. Usually what we assign to undergraduates is some sort of a template or a formula to do this. And we're not talking about that. We're not sharing this template or formula with our students. And that's what we need to do. Not to say that you can't allow for creative work. Matter of fact, with this system, you can, and you don't have to worry about tearing your hair out in different ways. Well, I don't know how to grade a movie. Well, no, but you can talk about certain qualities of that movie, as in just simple things like the length or perhaps the number of scenes that you want to see. And certainly there will be a learning goal and a communication goal connected to it. And that's pretty much all you have to do. For most of our assignments, they are formulaic, but students don't know the formula. <laughs> and we need to tell them. And those are what you would call our specs for an assignment. So that's really what we need to do. So all our work is up front in laying out what those specs are. It's like a one-level rubric. But we don't have to worry about different levels of the rubric, whether there are four-level rubrics and five-level rubrics. We don't have to worry about that. All we need is one. So we can afford the time to actually specify what we're looking for, what that template involves. And then the focus is helping students reach the standard rather than negotiating with them over the grades for what they've received. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Forget negotiation. 
there's some things that ought to be non-negotiable. I mean, we're not sloppy when we grade. I know we get sick and tired of it, but we are so diligent in our grading. And then we have a line of students outside our office saying, I deserve another two points on this because Susie did the same thing. She got 12 points. I only got 10. Like, write an essay about it, justifying it. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I really like about it, though, is that right now we have these two levels of assessing students' learnings. We have these complex assessment plans for each department, and then we have a grading system, which often bears little resemblance to the assessment. And this is making the assessment transparent and obvious to students, and it's forcing both faculty and students to focus on the learning objectives for the course. Yes, as we should be. You think about it. What does it mean that when a student gets an A, does that mean that that student has achieved all the objectives, all the outcomes at the level we want to see? Well, maybe for some of the students to get an A. What does a B mean? Now we're starting to get into really ambiguous territory. Does that mean that this student sort of achieved or barely achieved all the outcomes or maybe achieved some really well and didn't achieve others? And a C? Forget it. You can't tell what's going on there, especially given the way we give out Cs these days. So maybe the C student achieved one outcome well. But which one? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no wonder accrediting agencies pay no attention to our grades. They don't even want to know them. And I can understand why if they're focused on learning outcomes. And so, yeah, we've got this whole extra level of work that we have to do and that department chairs have to do and that provosts have to do. I mean, who needs it? Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between specs grading and contract grading? Because it seems like they have some things in common. Yes, they do have something in common. With contract grading, students individually work it out with a faculty member as to exactly what they're going to do. And if they do all those things, that they will get their A, because I've never heard of a student contracting for a B. It just doesn't happen. Now, contract grading goes back to the 60s and the first half of the 70s. And what was happening was, since there was this individual relationship, First of all, faculty didn't specify enough about what they wanted, what constituted A work. Same problem we have had up to now. And faculty weren't all that much different then. In fact, they probably gave less guidance. But in any case, there weren't the specifications. And then faculty and students would develop this relationship, this individual relationship. And it became particularly difficult for the faculty member to give anything but an A to the student. And the student would have thought, well, why didn't you tell me to do this to get my A? Because that's what I contracted for. So contract grading was one, sloppy, but two, it was highly individualized. With our class sizes, we can't even talk about contract grading. And because it was something that was mutually established between the faculty and the student. And specs grading is nothing like that. This is all in the faculty member's hands. Well, at least setting out what is required to get the A's and B's and C's and D's. But students choose what grade they're going to go for. And according to what grade they believe that they need, but also according to what kind of a workload they want to shoulder for this particular course. And, you know, maybe all they need is a C. And you know what? That's okay. And we don't look down on that student if the student says, well, all I need is a C. We do otherwise. We think, wow, this is a lazy student. That's what we're thinking in the back of our heads. We have negative thoughts about students who settle for low grades. But with X grading, you don't have to feel that way. This student chose a C. For whatever reason, I don't care. 
My course is not in that student's major. So I'm not going to take it personally. So that's nice. But the fact that that making that choice gets rid of all kinds of grading complaints or that thing at the end of the semester, what can I do to bring up my grade? Well, it's very clear what you could have been doing if you went for a C. Now, you could have done these additional assignments or taken this additional test to get a B, but you didn't do that. Now, you've got a week left. Maybe you want to try to do that, but don't ask me. I laid out the contract. I laid out the terms. I laid out the specs at the beginning of the semester, and you make your choices. This whole thing makes students feel a lot more responsible for their grades. They made the choice, and we respect that. So I think a question that would come up for many faculty is, you've laid out that certain assignments need to be accomplished to get even a C. Yes. And what the specifications are. What happens when a student struggles to meet those specs? Oh, gee. Well, when you say struggle, you can struggle before the assignment, or you can be disappointed and angry after the assignment. So if you're talking about struggling before and say, Professor, I don't understand these two specs. I don't even know if I can do it. Could you give me some more guidance? No problem. And then because the stakes are higher, you get credit or you get no credit whatsoever. Doesn't count towards your bundle, doesn't count towards whatever grade you're doing. So you'd better figure this out. Now, you don't meet the specs, okay? And obviously you didn't come to see me in advance, did you? Or otherwise we would have passed this out. Anyway, so you didn't pass. So you missed these two specs. All right. Well, gee, that's most unfortunate, but there's this system called tokens, or I call them tokens, but you can call them, I don't know, you can call them pigs in a blanket for all I care. It doesn't matter. They're like, get out of jail free cards. I've seen them called Hail Mary cards. (laughs) In a geography course, they were called globes. But anyway, they are opportunities to either redo an assignment that didn't meet the specs or to get a 24-hour extension. And there might be some other things that you make up along the way if absence count against you in your course. You can get out of absences. But let's say it's for redoing this assignment, which is pretty important early in the semester because students are not going to (laughs) believe that you're going to grade them pass-fail because this is all new for them. And they feel, well, how can this be? And there must be some sort of partial credit or something. They won't believe you. So there will be a number of students who will need this token or get out of jail free card to redo the assignment. It's up to you as a faculty member as to how many get out of jail free cards or tokens that they might have. Three is a nice number. I like it. But some people give five. Some people give two. But I think it behooves you to have some reasonable number of tokens with specs grading because that takes the pressure off of students. It allows them to screw up at least a few times. So this is something that students can get second chances out of this because the stakes are higher than typical. But the thing is, when you're grading these assignments, all you've got to do is check the specs that weren't met and say, this is why your assignment failed. Now, if you want to give additional feedback, by all means, I'm not going to stop you, but I want you to have a life. That's the only thing. And you can give positive feedback as well. And then you know what? If you've passed something, then you get positive feedback from your instructor that you figure, wow, the instructor gave me this positive feedback out of the kindness of her heart because she really cares about me and my success. Tell me how I could maybe do it better in the future. First of all, I'm going to read this. 
because this is meaningful feedback. This is not justification for having taken off points because that's what most of our feedback is about. Why you didn't get full credit. And now this is actual substantive learning feedback. So it decouples feedback from evaluation in a way. But students get the chance to do it over. And now that you have their attention, that let's say they didn't pass a certain assignment, that they can come to you and say, okay, how should I do this better? Oh, okay, isn't this lovely? So the worst that'll happen is you'll have a conversation with a student about how to improve his or her work. That's the worst that'll happen. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes students know. They just got lazy. How would you suggest structuring specification grading for a class that's more project-based or even collaborative work? Oh, sure. Whether it's projects or papers or whatever, again, it's a matter of specs. Oftentimes with our projects that we might allow our projects different media, what we have to do is lay out specs for each media or say, if you can think of a different media, you can do a film, you can do a play. You can write pamphlets, you can write a paper if you want to, or you can do any, let's say, a half a dozen things. And let's say if you want to do something else that's not on the list, come talk to me. We'll work it out. We'll work out some specs for it too. So what you have to do is you have to lay out specs, but oftentimes the specs that you have to lay out, since students love creative assignments, is you have to lay out, let's say, length. And so you might say, okay, if you're going to go with a film or video, I want 20 minutes of that. I'm going to go with pamphlets. I want at least four pamphlets. I want each pamphlet to have at least 250 words in it. If you're going to go with writing a play and performing a play for your peers, I mean, wow. But I do want it to be a half an hour long. And I want it to involve everybody in the group. Everybody's acting. And if you're going to write a paper, I want it to be at least, let's say, 2,000 words long, or maybe that's too long whatever, and you lay it out. And I want it to follow this kind of an outline. You can lay out specs for different kinds of media and let students run with the project. Now, a design project, what you might allow students to choose is exactly, let's say in architecture, what kind of a building they're going to design. Let's say, okay, you can design a residence, single family, a separate dwelling, but I want it to be at least four bedrooms. I want it to be two stories, this and that. And you can do an office building too, but I want this to be at least two stories. And I want it to be so many thousands of square feet. And then you let them run with it. And you know what? We know from our history and from a lot of publications that students run with this sort of thing. So I'll give them a little guidance and off they go. It's a beautiful thing. Now, in terms of projects having to do with group work, I don't know that specs grading will make group work smoother. <laughs> and I'm talking about out-of-class group work. If you want to play marriage counselor, you just go right on ahead. But you don't have to. I mean, there are some people who say, hey, you guys working out on your own, I don't want to hear about it. And you can fire freeloaders. And if you are doing all the work, you can resign from your group and any other group will be happy to pick you up. But all this has to be done by the end of the fifth week, whatever. So I don't know that we're going to get rid of those problems. <laughs> I think my question was more about the high stakes nature or the long term nature of projects. Yes. So would you recommend doing scaffolded specs or something like that to help make sure they're on track? Well, yes. What you need to do, as with any major project, 
you need to divide it up into smaller tasks that students can be accountable for along the way and maybe even get feedback for. Now, you can give feedback. Your peers, people in other groups can give feedback because after all, we're doing criteria reference grading. We're not grading on the curve. So there are different ways for students to get feedback. But in any case, this divides a massive task into little pieces. So maybe starting out with, okay, by the end of the third week, we want your group to have a literature review put together. And we put specs for the literature review. And we want so many references and we want so many of them in the last five years and what have you. So we could even put the specs, I even specify specs for the format that we want, APA format or ASA format or Chicago, whatever it is that we want. That's something that we can put in the specs if we want to. And that way, students will actually proofread. (laughs) Now, I think we ought to be somewhat tolerant with respect to format. Anyway, we ought to allow three little errors in format because you know what? When we submit a paper to a journal, they're tolerant of us. Right? <laughs> I mean, can't be sloppy, but if we put a period instead of a comma, hey, we are forgiven and we'll catch it later <laughs> on the proofs. So we need to allow some errors on something like that. But anyway, yeah, we divide up a big task into pieces and then students get feedback on the pieces. And that's also a good way to find out early about who are your freeloaders, who's not doing the work early. So they can get rid of the freeloaders if they need to. Here's another thing that you can do with specs grading. When you do bundles, you know, the project, the big project, you can make that big project required for an A, period. And then you will only have groups with students who are going for A's. So it depends upon the size of your class, of course. But you might wind up with only, let's say, three groups who are going for A's or, you know, the number of students that will fall into three groups. Well, guess what? You're going to get some really fine projects. You're not going to have to worry about it. And they might not be freeloaders. But anyway, in the examples in my book that a lot of faculty members, and I recommend it as well, that group project be reserved for getting an A, for the A bundle, and other assignments be in the B bundle and C in the D bundle, for that matter, which might be very minimal, but hey, if you want a D, far be it for me to stop you. So anyway, that's another way to solve the problem. You just put those projects in for just the students who are going for an A. You've mentioned bundling a few times in terms of grade. Could you talk a little bit about that and how you can go from the specs grading to the course grades that are assigned in the course? Okay. There are two ways, and the first way I'm going to just mention and not recommend, but you can keep your point system, and you might have some haggling over grades, but in any case, you can keep the point system and say, okay, my course is 100 points, and if you get 91 points or more, you'll get an A. Okay, fine. But the bundling system allows students to choose their grade. So what you do is you set up clusters of assignments and tests that students have to pass at that B level to get credit for their bundle. So you set those up. And the easiest way to do this, so you've got a D bundle, it's pretty minimal, and you can tell students, look, for your D, here are the only outcomes that you will be able to achieve if you go for the D. Some students say, hey, I don't care, not my major. Fine. So it's minimal work. Maybe it involves just 
passing tests at, let's say, a 70% level and maybe doing a couple of little written assignments along the way. But they all have to meet whatever the specs might be, whatever specs you set out for those assignments. And C bundle, okay, you got to do everything that you do in the D bundle plus their extra assignments as well. And so maybe what you are having students do, and I'm just making this up as an example, is the students have to turn in 15 out of the 18 reading assignments that you have. They have to turn in a typed up outline on a particular reading. This way, at least your C students are going to do the readings, right? Because at least most of the readings, almost all the readings, and you'd give your eye teeth for almost all your students to do almost all the readings, right? But that's all they've got to do. Maybe for a B, you have to do all the requirements for a C, maybe even more of those reading notes or something different. Perhaps keep a learning journal. Keep a journal on how you are learning, what you're having trouble learning, the different strategies you are trying to learn the material, and it's going to be collected, but you really have to specify what questions you want students to answer. So that'll be collected maybe four times during the semester, and you might collect some every week or so and look at a few of them. But again, you're just looking for the answers to the questions. That's what you have to do for B. You're going to get a good handle on those readings, and you're going to find out how to best learn this material. For the A, you've got to do everything for the B, but you have to do some sort of a group project where you're going to learn, let's say, application, analysis, evaluation, what have you, whatever higher thinking levels that you have in there. At the C level, that's pretty low, but good Lord, at least they're understanding the readings. At least they're reading the readings and presumably understanding it. And, you know, you can check some of them to see that they are understanding. And if they're not, you can help them with that. And students are learning how to learn for that B, but students are learning how to analyze the material, even higher level learning outcomes for that A. Now, if your student learning outcomes are dictated by a professional accrediting agency, then you've got to put all of those outcomes in what's required for a C. Or maybe your institution considers D passing. Some institutions don't. Whatever you consider passing, that's where all of those outcomes have to go. The students and the A students, they will achieve even more outcomes. If you've got an outside accrediting agency telling you what your students have to be able to do, then guess what? All the students who pass the course have to be able to do these things. And you've got to set out the specs accordingly. There are some accrediting agencies that lay out good outcomes with active verbs and other accrediting agencies that give you crummy outcomes where you've got to essentially rewrite them so you can assess them. But I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) Did I answer your question? I hope. Yeah, I think a lot of your examples focus on a more traditional class and not necessarily a lab or studio kind of class where there's a lot of classwork that happens inside of class. What might a bundle look like in a situation like that where a lot of the learning activities are happening in person rather than for homework? So for example, I teach studio classes that meet for six hours a week and they presumably do about three hours outside of class versus the reverse, which many people have. And labs are similar. What area are you in? I teach graphic design. Okay. But it would be similar to something that would happen in the sciences too and having to do lab. Yeah. To an extent, it depends on whether it's a decent lab or not. (laughs) (laughs) Some labs are a waste of everybody's time. 
But anyway, what you have to do there is you've got projects, right, Mm -hmm. throughout the semester, different things that students are doing. How many projects do you have in a semester? Usually it's like four big projects or three. Okay. Well, now this sounds very, very radical, but what if for a D, you only had to do one project? And I mean, at that B level that you set for PEC, what if a C, as a student, I only have to do two? No, they're the first two, because I presume this is somewhat cumulative. For B, I only have to do three projects. But in A, of course, I have to do all four if there are four projects. Now, what does this mean? Oh, by the way, do you have tests? No. Just curious. Okay. It means that assuming your D student does passable work on that first project, you can say bye-bye after that first project is done. The person wants to sit in. You can't, you know, it's a free country, right? Well, not really, but they can sit in if you want them to. That's fine. For the C student, again, you say bye-bye after the second project, assuming they do it at that passable level. And by the end of the semester, you have only the most motivated and committed students that you have to be concerned with. And you can give them some very challenging work. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's the way you could do that. Now, you could also bundle it differently. You could expand the number of projects that you have as well and simply make them shorter if that's what you would be required. But I don't know how you react to that. I think my accrediting agency would react to that and that they have to put a certain number of hours in. Okay. Okay. So your crediting agency is time focused. It's part of it because presumably with more practice, you get better. Well, presumably (laughs) (laughs) practice with feedback, you get better. But yeah, if we are committed to this hours business, that makes things very unruly. Everybody's got to put in the same amount of time. In class anyway. Oh, in class. Okay. That's very unruly with respects to specs grading because specs grading isn't about time. I mean, you can recommend that such and such assignment should take you at least three hours for it to be passable. But other than that, that's your recommendation for a certain given assignment. But yeah, that makes it very unruly when your crediting agency says, okay, they've got to spend so many hours in class and not just looking at their phone. Yeah. I mean, we do critiques and things like that. We provide a lot of yes. feedback, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. You do yeah. critiques. Okay. Lots of critiques. Yeah. They do a lot of like art classes and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> but now you could hold your D and C student to doing critiques on all the assignments just so they can put in their hours, but they don't necessarily have to do the assignments. At least they can see model. But again, I don't know if your crediting agency would be happy with that either. This may not exactly be specs grading, but could you give, say, different levels of activity in each of the assignments? If you have four projects, You could have one bundle in that project that would give a C, another that would give a B, and another that would give an A, changing the scope of the projects, and it would be specs grading within that scope. Yes, that has been done, and I'm not sure about what kind of projects you're doing, but yes, you could do that, and you could set different specs for each level. So D students, let's say, have to do a D-level project, which is not nearly as time-consuming and not nearly as high a level cognitively. It doesn't demand that much doesn't demand that much time. It doesn't demand that much thinking. And so you could do that. And that way, students would put in their time. And as long as you can set out the specs for those levels, yes, absolutely, you could do it that way. But yeah, accrediting agencies can really get in the way of flexibility. Rebecca, would your accrediting agency go along with that? With scope, probably. Yeah. Okay, good. What I tell you about a, a course that does this, it's in computer science. 
they have students writing programs. And there are six projects that students have to do. They do these individually. If you are going for a C, you get some pretty easy projects to do, pretty easy problems to solve. If you are going for a B, well, you get sort of intermediate level problems. You don't do the C one because if you can do the B ones, you can do the C ones. Now, for an A, you get some much more sophisticated ones, but you do every level, you only get six. So there's that, that as long as you can designate level of difficulty or for that matter, breadth of knowledge, if you can designate that, of course, usually people can do that, that you can make levels out that you can make different bundles out of that. This is another little interesting take. In this particular course, if you are late handing in your projects, that you've got to do two more projects at that level. So in other words, you are penalized for lateness by having to do more work. Now that really hits students where it hurts. <laughs> and if you're like super late, you've got to do yet two more. So anyway, that keeps students on their toes. <laughs> anyway, so in this particular course, students are rarely late. So yes, there are ways that you can do that just in terms of level of complexity or a level of cognitive operations demanded. How do you explain this to students if you're going to introduce a specs grading system? First of all, you've got to sell specs grading because they'll look at you like, huh? And which is fine. And you should explain this, but you can tell them, you know, I'm going to hold you to higher expectations. And we know that holding students to higher expectations feeds into student success, student learning, but also student success in general. You can explain to them the concept of andragogy. In other words, that pedagogy really has to do with little kids. <laughs> andragogy has to do with adults. Saying, I'm going to treat you like an adult. And students like that kind of thing. You might be choosing the kind of project you are doing. It's easy to build choices into this. This will be a safe but a challenging environment because you know exactly what you're supposed to do. I'm going to give you the descriptions of what you have to do for the assignment to pass in advance and in detail. So you almost can't screw this up unless you don't read the directions or pay attention to the directions. So you want to emphasize the choice and control over their grade that they're going to have. You want to tell them about tokens. We've got some wiggle room, if you will. Now, these terms, by the way, are not physical. If you make them physical, students will develop a black market, believe me. <laughs> but virtual, and you keep track of them. Or you can ask for an extension, but you don't ask me for an extension. You're late. I just take a token away. That's all. We don't have to talk about it. I don't care why you're late. This is just the way it's going to be. Just like your boss won't care why you are late or why you are absent. It just sounds it's like a holiday. Then we're going to tie what your grade is to what you are learning. If they look at the syllabus at all, everybody's going to know what you have learned in this course. So that's how you sell it to students. Now, students will need to be reminded about how the system works because this will strike them. This is so weird. Even if they initially like the idea, they still need to be reminded a few times because it's really strange. According to my research, students way prefer this system to traditional grading. And one of the reasons why they do is because we give better direction. We tell them what we want. We give them the formula. We give them the template or we give them tons and tons of freedom to meet the specs. Especially with students, when we talk about length or whatever, length means depth to the students. 
doesn't mean that necessarily to us. Students really like this because they feel way more secure in it. And they do like the element of choice that are built in. That's motivating for them. And they do learn more. And if they are more motivated, they are likely to do more of the work at a higher level. They are more likely to excel. And the A students are going to do A work anyway because they don't know any better. All they know is A work. And there's a sense in which they want us to love them. I mean, really. So they've got this strong sense of loyalty towards us and they really want us to respect them. And they're used to feeding off of that. They've been doing it all their lives. Don't worry about them getting sloppy. They'll never get sloppy on you. (laughs) (laughs) If someone wanted to transition to specs grading, how should they get started? What you might want to do if you're switching, transitioning to specs grading, you want to look at your assignments and for that matter, look at your test, but what you have in your test, you want to look to see what can be transferred into pass-fail. You also want to look at your tests. If your tests are very objective and you're relying on a test bank, remember, it's so much easier for you to grade with the specs that you can start assigning more written work or design work on tests, what have you. But definitely, higher order thinking types of questions. And you will have the time to grade them because you're going to lay out the specs. And without giving away the farm, you will tell your students the specs of your essay questions in advance and they will study accordingly. But anyway, you want to look at your outcomes and then you want to identify the cognitive level of your assignments and your test questions, which again, you might want to change. You want to be able to group your assignments and tests by that cognitive level so you can develop bundles. It's kind of a radical way to do it, but it makes your life so much easier once you have those bundles because all you've got to do is say, okay, let's see. So I had four assignments in this bundle. Hey, student did all four, passed them all. Hey, B. It's so much easier. You just have to be sure that you set out the deadlines for the different assignments in the bundles. You don't want everything being submitted to you in the last week or two. So you still have to have your deadlines along the way. Just warning you about that. I want to refer people to my book for examples of courses, and not just my courses either, that have been specs graded. And they cover a range of over a dozen different disciplines, so they can see all kinds of examples. That's a great resource for those who are considering moving to specs grading. It also sounded to me like the couple of cautionary tales that you have about transitioning are about time and making sure that you spread things out. Yes. But also being very clear in what the specs are and then following through with whatever you said. Yep. Yep. And if you didn't lay out enough detail, well, there's always next semester, (laughs) Uh, but you can't change those specs in midstream. Oh, I wish I'd thought of this and then start grading students. No, 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 no. But again, we live and learn, right? We'll get better the second time. (laughs) We always end with the question, what are you doing next? Oh, what am I doing next? Well, what I've been doing is I've been doing a lot of traveling, doing keynotes and workshops, oftentimes on self-regulated learning, sometimes on spec grading, and sometimes on any number of different topics having to do with either teaching or academic writing or something like that. So I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break from that until the end of, or late July anyway, and then things start up again. But that's kind of nice. I don't mind that because this keeps me semi-retired and that's the way I want to be. A semi-retirement is nirvana. Just letting y'all know. <laughs> so that's what's next for me. That and to finish my tea. <laughs> it sounds like the key to semi-retirement is the semi-not-retired part. <laughs> yes, it is. It is, it is, it is. 
your brain's still working and you still have got your thumb in the pie, so to speak. <laughs> and it feels good because you're not under that same 60 hour a week pressure that you otherwise have with a regular job and then doing these other extra things on the side. And it doesn't work real well. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I normally say, autograph books and things like that, happy teaching, but I want to wish everybody happy grading. <laughs> what an odd phrase, right? But happy grading. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast service. To continue the conversation, join us on our Tea for Teaching Facebook page. You can find show notes, transcripts, and other materials on tfortteaching.com. Music by Michael Gary Brewer.